Hi, and welcome to the latest installment of the Sharp Best Ball Show. I'm your host, Todd Burrows, and today I will be joined by David Zach at DavidZach16 on Twitter. And our show today is sponsored by Underdog Fantasy and the biggest fantasy football tournament of all time, Best Ball Mania 4. Don't know what Best Ball is? It's simple. You just enter Best Ball Mania on Underdog's slick mobile app, draft your team, and that's it. Yep, it's set and forget it as Underdog optimizes your lineup weekly to create the highest scoring lineup available. It's here. It's Best Ball Mania 4, and it's your shot at a first place prize of $3 million. My, how Best Ball has grown. Get signed up on underdogfantasy.com or via the app store with promo code SHARPKIT. And not only will they double your first deposit up to $100, but you'll also receive the Sharp Football Draft Kit for just $1. That includes over 40 exclusive fantasy football articles, which will help your chances at winning the $3 million prize. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code SHARPKIT. You must be 18 plus, 19 plus in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 plus in Massachusetts and Arizona. And present in the state where underdog fantasy operates, terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. David is the creator of Freaks in the Spreadsheet and another die-hard best ball player. Today, we're going to focus a bit on wide receivers at the end of the show, as I did an article this week on where they are best drafted site to site. Uh, But first, David and I share some common ground on player exposure and portfolio building. He is much more able to put in numbers some of the thoughts that I have just kind of the way things make sense to me. All right, David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I've always been a fan of all the guests you've had on and all the topics you cover, so really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I, you know, since day one on my old podcast, which I still, you know, can do once in a while, I've always given chances to newer guys that I see putting in the work and trying to make a name for themselves because I really feel like that's what it's all about. And just because someone has a name in the industry doesn't mean his information is any better than someone who's just trying to break in. Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's all about the work you put in, right? And and how thorough your process is. Well, and you know, helping each other to draft the best teams that we can using the best process because we all want to win that three million dollars. Absolutely. All right. So one of the things I get the most heat over, David, is my firm belief that even the best drafters are willing to take on too much portfolio risk with their players' exposure. The term no risk it, no biscuit gets thrown at me a lot. In other words, if you're not willing to risk it, you're not going to win. Big picture, what's your thought on no risk it, no biscuit, player ownership, and, you know, for me, I tend to define it in the first one, first and second round, and then you know other rounds after that. Uh, what are your thoughts on those things? 
Sure. So <clears throat> everyone has their own process, right? And uh, no risk it, no biscuit. Like that's the amount of risk tolerance you're able to give yourself. For me, I can't, I can't stand going over too, too much exposure on a certain player solely due to injury. Last year, I got burned so bad by guys like Wandale Robinson and Lamar Jackson. Like I was 45% Wandale and 35% Lamar. And it, uh, I, I do think the most learning experiences in life are from pleasure and pain. And when you see a high rostered player, that hurts a lot and you learn your lesson from it. So, yeah, I, I, that's exactly my thought and, and exactly my experience. And, you know, and I've had really good success a lot of years by never having more than 25% on a player. People don't realize how much 3X is. When you say 3x, you mean three three times the exposure of the field? Well, yeah. The average is about 8%, so 25% right. is about 3x. Yeah. Yep. No, it's, it's it's devastating when a player goes down. And, yeah, that's about my number, too, is 25 to 30% is kind of the number I'm setting for myself this year on player exposure. That's, you know, somewhat abstract. It's it Like I said, it's about your risk tolerance and – if, if you look at the teams that made the BBM finals or the puppy finals or any kind of best ball tournament, there's a wide variety of teams. There's, you know, there's zero RB, there's superhero RB, stuff like that. So it's not isolated to must have players most of the time. You can still win with different builds with different players. So that's what I try and diversify. <laughs> I still have players I like a lot, and I'm trying to build as many combinations of those teams that I like and fading players as well. So, yeah. I, I feel like the whole thing about injury doesn't get talked about enough. And I always explain it like this, you know, within a tier of where you're going to draft guys, right? When you take 40% of one guy, that means you're going to have very little of, unless you're reaching rounds to get your exposure, you're going to have very little of certain other players in that area. And if you do projections like I know you do, um, you know, at most, you'll have a projection on a guy in a similar tier, 40, 50 points more for the season at most. And a lot of times it's a lot less than that. It's two to three points a week. Meanwhile, if a player misses the season due to injury, it can be 14 or 15 points a week. And if you have 50% of your your it, and beyond that, you mentioned Josh Jacobs. He got you there last year and then put up two duds in week 16 and 17. The very nature of this contest, it, even if you hit, let's say you have, you know, I hear a lot. Well, I want the years where I'm very successful and I don't mind having heavy ownership. To me, even if you're right, and we saw the same thing with Cooper Cup a few years ago. All it takes is one bad week in week 15, 16, or 17 to wipe you out just as much as an injury might. Yep, uh, yep, that's a very good point. So Josh Jacobs is a, is a perfect example of that, right? Like I was mapping out playoff scenarios and I, I kind of faded Jacobs for his uh, week 17 and the like matchups, but he ended up scoring a touchdown, but I believe he played San Francisco in week 17. Is he that did. right? Yep. Yeah. So they've been, you know, historically very hard against running backs and he was able to get in the end zone. So it didn't quite pan out in that respect, but there were other playoff matchups too, that he, like you said, threw up some duds. So when you, 
when you have players like that, I was I was out on Josh Jacobs, and ironically, it, it helped me because I had a team made it to the BBM final uh, without him due to his duds because there were so many teams in my pools with Josh Jacobs on him because he was like a 40% advanced player. So it was it was kind of an advantage for me to not have him as a high advanced player. So then that made me a little more unique and, and able to advance on. Yeah. And I, and again, I, I think, you know, one of the sayings that I've been talking a lot about this year is be the optimizer, right? When you're playing DFS, almost every player worth his salt uses an optimizer to build lineups because it gives you a nice spread within the framework of having higher ownership on certain players. Uh, I try and accomplish that same thing because I want a lot of different keys to go into the week 16 and 17 lock. Yep. That's a great point. So, right. When I'm building teams, like, like you said, optimizing your teams for all the scenarios, I'm looking at playoff schedule. I'm looking at players I like and my projections versus ADP. Right. So when I'm building my projections, you know, I trust them. I know everything that goes in it. I know the points over replacement of my projections versus ADP and how they're imbalanced. So I'm trying to collect all those together and there's not enough single players that stand out. There's players that I'm certainly going to be heavy on, but I kind of go over it in my freaks in the spreadsheets, uh, fantasy guide and how I allocate differences which, across which, my by the teams. way, I have to interject is really good guys. I was checking that out <laughs> today. It's free. You can find it in David's bio and um, it is some really great work with a lot of great different ways of finding opportunity. Sorry to interrupt. No, I appreciate it. I'll always take praise on some work that I've done, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But, but uh, going going through that in that sheet there, I have a comparison tool where I compare every team I've drafted to other teams that I have drafted. So I know the similarities between teams, not just player ownership. That's a separate entity. I'm looking at how similar one team is to the next. And there's guys out there. So I'll pick on Davis Payne because I, I like going back and forth with him on Twitter too. But he's notoriously 55% uh, or higher on Michael Thomas this year. So when I saw him post that, I'm sure I asked that'll him, be fine. <laughs> high injury prone. And it might be, right? Like we don't, we never well, and, know and the and right he's answer. he's not even showing up well in per reception perception this year, right? There's one thing that he might get hurt. It's another thing that he's just not getting open like he used to. Oh, I didn't know that. So I haven't seen that profile on him yet, but that is interesting. I am higher on him than the field. Uh, but besides that I point, had, I, I had a lot last year. I'm very light on him this year. The the got burned factor there? No, I, I, I just think that, again, you know, I I watch tape. And then I like to compare what I see on tape to what other smart people find with charting. You know, again, uh, my eyes can deceive me, but they've also led me pretty well overall. So I'm always looking to back up what I see with hard numbers. And when Matt's uh, reception perception, you know, they've got Olave there. They've got Kamara. They've got, um, you know, uh, Rashid. Um, Shahid or whatever is yeah that's Rashid yeah, I Shahid, think that's better, right? you know <laughs> it, it's just it it's possible he gives you a top end result but I don't know that it's likely um, and I did want to ask you you know I have a bunch of tricks and tools that I use 
to kind of be the optimizer, to mix my exposure. Do you have similar ways that you do it? I think you were starting to talk about that. Right. Yep. So in the freaks in the spreadsheet guide, like I mentioned, I do a, a comparison across teams and I'm trying not to get over, let's say, 40% similarity between one team and a number for any given team. At the end of the year, I'll kind of play loose, right? And draft five or 10 teams at the end of the, my maxing out on a tournament and just do whatever. But this, this gives me as many darts as possible in as many different ways as possible. Not only am I diversifying teams across players and, and how they're built, I'm also doing different structures. Like I'm keeping track of zero RB, superhero RB, robust RB, you know, stuff like that. So I'm trying to balance everything out. We don't know what technique or roster construction is going to be it this year. Last year, it was zero running back was it, right? Even though the winner of BBM3 used superhero, it's uh, the... That there's definitely trends that rise and fall throughout each year. And I, I want access to all of them. And I have players that I like in each range that lets me build any one of them at a given time. Do you go into a draft with, you know, hey, this is going to be this kind of team or this is going to be that kind of team? Or, you know, are is it a tool in your toolbox where you know how to build towards each of these different uh, styles and based on who you get and where you've been with other teams, you kind of do it as you go. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So if I haven't done a zero RB in a while, so like this morning, for example, I drafted a BBM team and I hadn't done zero RB in a while. I so happened to get the 101, landed Justin Jefferson, and then Chris Olavi and T Higgins fall to me. So I'm like, all right, great. Zero RB build, here we come. So then I'm I'm balancing out my portfolio that way. So I do have it in mind, but I'm not going to force it. Like if Olavi and Higgins wouldn't have been there, I would have been back to going running back, running back on the 2-3 turn again and such like that. So I, I don't like reaching. And when you're overexposed, overexposed on players, like we were talking about earlier, you're always reaching or you're often reaching on a player that someone else is getting half a round or a round later most of the time if you're always reaching. So that's another reason to kind of play it cool on the high exposure rate, in my opinion. Yeah, I, you know, I have some internal things that I do. Obviously, stacks and correlations will break a tie, right? If I've got five yep. or seven players in a tier, uh, the first thing I'm looking at is, you know, who are the seven players in the tier? And, you know, are there any stacks or any correlations, especially early, so I can get off to a good start with stacks and correlations? After that, I, you know, I'll use um, roster construction, like you said. But, and worse comes to worse, I'll just, the last tiebreaker is how much do I have of each guy, right? So if there's three or four guys left and I'm pretty even on all of them, you know, I use the spike week overlay and I'm just sitting there going, okay, this is how much I have of this guy. Uh, uh, this is how, I, and that's how I kind of mix it up. Um, so oh, that, yeah. makes, that makes a lot of sense. So you have an order, you go with stacks and correlation first. No. And then roster. No. First thing I'm looking for, is there a value on the board that's too good to pass up? Right. Okay. So first thing I'm doing is if, you know, if there's a guy who's, you know, a round and a half later than he normally goes, to me, that trumps a stack or correlation, especially early. I'll worry about that later. And then as the draft goes on, stacks and correlations will sometimes pass value. 
especially in the last four or five rounds of a draft. That's more where I'm because I'm not counting on those players to win me my league. I'm hoping to catch lightning in a bottle with those guys during the playoff weeks. So that's where stacks and correlations, I am willing to jump a tier. Uh, like today, I had um, like there were like seven or I, I didn't have any one player I really liked. There was I was doing a DraftKings. Lamar Jackson was my quarterback. I like Isaiah likely more than his ADP. And there were like five tight ends ahead of him that, um, but I was 22 picks to the next turn. You know, there might've been a 30% chance he wasn't there. I took the stack because I feel like the difference between him and a Hayden Hurst or any of the other guys, uh, Hunter Henry, wasn't going to make a difference in my life. I'm not going to do that in the fifth, sixth round. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm very similar in how you said there. I'm looking for values and and players that pop in my projections right away. And then uh, roster construction is always on my mind. Like I, that always is on the forefront of my mind. Like if you don't have quality, you have quantity, right? The the old saying. So Absolutely. and then later on, you're stacking, making sure that. you're stacking and getting correlation. That's is so important that people don't think about. But I do think the overall, the entire uh, playoff picture and stacking as many playoff games as you can week 15, 16 and 17 is, is going to be more important this year with the larger pools and it, it'll take more to advance each week. So yeah, I, I am giving a bit more focus to that. I, I am not playing a lot of the best ball mania as I did last year. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, and I didn't play DraftKings last year at all. And I'm definitely going to max out their contest because I'm already spending too much on this. So to be able to max out a contest for fifteen hundred versus thirty eight seventy five, it just fits my budget. Um, but I am doing, uh, you know, probably 30, 40, 50 teams in each one of these lesser expensive underdog contests. I will have more lineups with underdog again this year than any other site. Um, but my bread and butter is FFPC, where, you know. If you invest $125 and you advance, you win 300 To me, you know, I want that chance at a big payday, but I also want to get my money back and make profit every year too. So balancing all of those is kind of how I do it. How do you tend to do it? Yeah, I actually build out a spreadsheet that, that includes the rake, uh, the average payout and the median payout for each tournament. And like you said, BBMs, you know, not a very friendly earn your money back or earn a small profit type of tournament. It's a very top heavy, uh, hard to place well tournament. So you're expecting an, you know, roughly $8 loss on every entry you do. And something like the FFPC, I've seen some of the payout structures of that. I haven't played it, but it seems much more, you know, um, risk friendly, I should say. Whereas you can earn your money back and some profit quite a bit better. At least that's from what I've seen. We, we all know that if you invest, and, and again, it's it's really, it, this is where I think risk tolerance does play a lot more than player exposure. You know, I love having the opportunity at a huge top prize, right? But I also, you know, so like if you did, um, you know, uh, even DraftKings. If you if you did a hundred drafts on DraftKings, it would cost you a thousand bucks. If you got a thirty percent pass through rate, and then um, you know it's one in twelve the next week. So let's say you double that 
15 percent you're, you're not going to be anywhere near yet to breaking even you're still going to be down 20 30 percent ffpc if you do 100 uh it's 12,500 it's a lot of money but if you get that 30 through uh, 30 percent pass through you've already made nine of that 12 five back and odds are you're going to break even even if you don't get a team in the final so um it, it, it it's it's just a you know to me that's kind of like my cash game but it's cash game where you know i came in fourth last year where first place was two hundred thousand. you know there's oh. that's that's still a pretty damn good prize <laughs> yeah congrats by the way i didn't know that about you yeah I, I, it was for 12.5 the year before i came in 10th in the contest Jeez, um, so, that is your bread and butter then yeah yeah and uh <laughs> and i i've averaged very close to a 30 percent pass through the last three years with it uh last two years with it um so oh, all that's right excellent. enough about me i mean i'll talk about me all day <laughs> but enough about me um you know, one thing I really love that you did is you did team totals in your freak spreadsheet. I like the factors that you consider. How much this, does this affect how you draft best ball teams? And what are the teams that you think people are sleeping on? And what are you, um, what, you know, what are a couple teams that you don't think people are realizing that they're not as good as last year? Gotcha. Yeah. So the, the team projections kind of, I do top level projections for my player and team projections. And it all starts with uh, the, the team overview. I'm looking at uh, Vegas odds for wins, kind of projecting that into offensive points and yardage. I'm looking at offensive line. I'm looking at coaching changes. I'm looking at efficiency metrics like yards per touchdown. So if teams with really high you know, yardage, but not as much scoring. They should probably balance out a little more. Lord Reeves was the one that uh, I think I first saw do that one. So there, there's a lot of factors that go into just the team itself. And, you know, like the Buccaneers losing Tom Brady, it's pretty fair to say their pass rate and plays per game are going to drop just tremendously, you know, going from him to Baker Mayfield, things like that. So you put it all together. Um, you see how teams can change year over year. And then it gives you a value that you can base all your players off of for each team and, and the pass volume, rush volume, scoring, all that, all that fun stuff that we derive player projections from. Some teams that I'm higher and lower on, I'm just incredibly bullish on the Chargers this year, adding Kellen Moore, bringing in Quentin Johnson, um, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, God willing, are healthy all year. And I think this offense is just going to score at will a lot. I think that last year he was, uh, Justin Herbert was way too expensive. Um, he was going off as the number two or three quarterback at times. Um, I feel that it's kind of gone the other way. And I, <laughs> you know, I find myself drafting a lot of him and, uh, lately. And it's good to see that your numbers back up that sense that I have. Um, I also noticed that you're very high on Quentin Richardson, Quentin Johnston. Oh, Quentin Johnston. Yep. So I have, you know, hundreds of models feeding all these different things. Right. And he, he really pops in my rookie dynasty model. It, it likes everything about him. Like his profile from a college standpoint, you know, he just produced as soon as he got to college at a high level, you know, year after year after year declared early, you know, he's a, he's a huge dude. 
Uh, people give him a bad time for his drops or whatever body catching. I think that's just dramatically overblown. He's my wide receiver one in class, you know, team agnostic. And then he landed with the chargers and that just uh, put, put him on top for me. So uh, in the same sense, uh, Jackson Smith is, I think, a bit overrated. He's he's my number. He's very close to number two for me, and I know a lot of people will say I'm crazy for even having him at number two, but he he's going to struggle, especially in redraft. Dynasty is a different story, right? But in redraft, I think he's going to struggle to pay off at his outrageous round four or whatever it is. ADP I think it's, right you, now, you, you can even find him in round seven now, depending on the site. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, but I mean, he to me. He's one of those. So you talked about learning through pain. I've learned, <laughs> you know, one of the ways that I've learned through pain is by not accounting for like a couple years ago, Kamara and Michael Thomas were both going in the first round. And I thought there's no way they both pay that off. Right. With a with Drew Brees kind of at the end of his career. The problem was that each of those two years, one of them got hurt just completely unlocking the other guy, right? So, you know, I start, now that his price has come down, I'm, I'm very high on Tyler Lockett at ADP. Same. Uh, uh, but I, I feel like having no JSN could really kill you if one of those two guys goes down, right? And it's very possible that one of them does. So, you know, I won't be overweight on him, but I don't want to be one, two percent if that happens and he gives you a top 20, you know, uh, result, which I think is in his range of outcomes. Yep. That's fair. Um, I think I have three shares of him across 85 BBM teams so far, that's which is obviously up until recently where he's finally starting to be in a, in an area where I'm, I don't feel I'm giving up someone really good. Right. And, and I get what you mean with the injury. I don't like banking on injury and drafting someone that high. I think that's a that's a tough pill to swallow for me from a projection standpoint. Like, I think we need to be cognizant that injury can happen. But I'm assuming, you know, you know, just uh, an average amount of missed games per position. I think it's like one point eight games missed for wide receivers and 2.4 games missed per year for running backs or something like that. And I bake that into projections as well. But that's so, a me that's a median projection. And, yep. and that's what I always have used in the past. And that's, I'm just trying to be a little bit better at looking for outliers than I have been in the past. I'm not saying I want to go from what I would have had, which is one or 2% to 12, you know, because of an injury, but He's a guy that I don't want to be under 4% of, you know, I'm still underweight, but, you know, should something happen, whether through injury or just me being wrong? I see. So, yeah, the way you explained it right away, I thought you were just drafting him in case of major injury, no. like sidelines a guy for six or eight plus games. So no, no. that was, uh, uh, I'm just building in for, the outlier projection more than I have in the past. Um, I'm still team median projections. It, it's kind of hard to say because to me, each team, you want to build in everything, right? You want to build in uh, explosive upside. You want to build in right. floor, right? And, and 
you know, um, oh, and I did want to just hit you back with uh, what are some of the teams besides the Chargers? Is there another team you're really high on? And um, let's get one or two that you're lower on the consensus. All right. I think the Broncos are going to spring back hard this year under Peyton and that revamped O-line. And there was a lot of injuries that happened to their team. So I kind of account for that a little bit too. So I really like their running backs, but I don't know which one's going to be the main ball carrier with Javante's injury, but he's looking pretty good in his recovery. So they got a, they got a nice playoff schedule for running backs as well, but I'm pretty heavy on Samaje Ryan right now, trying to up my Javante's exposure as as more glowing reports come out. Um, let's Same. keep. I'm going to jump in. Same. Pirine, when he was two rounds later, was a guy in my first probably six, seven DraftKings. I think I had him in every draft, right? Because, <laughs> he, you know, Peyton has a history of feeding running backs receptions, DK's full PPR. Um, to me, he was a, a, a screaming deal. The other guy that, you know, I just am take, you know, I like Marvin Mims um, because neither Judy or Sutton really do that well in reception perception. Uh, Judy gets a lot of splash plays, but he really doesn't get open consistently. So that opens up later guys to me, but Dulcich is the guy that I, I, I just think he's way too cheap. Yeah, he was he was one of my highest rostered guys right away, and he's climbed a bit right um, since since these drafts have started. But I'm pretty big on on Judy. I like him at cost. I'm really low on Sutton. I think oh, yep. I think he's very washed. Just watching him play, it was painful for me. But I know there's a lot of people still high on him, and he nothing has against no the guy. Movements. <laughs> You'll have to coin that one out there. <laughs> But yeah, so it sounds like we're on a similar page, similar uh, page there. And yeah, I was very heavy on Samaje early in the year. I've, I've tapered off and kind of been pivoting. I still take both. I mean, they're plenty cheap. And I think I even have a couple teams where I did uh, take both on the same team even because I don't, I don't know if they'll, you know, Samaje starts out hot and then he fades off as Javante warms up and then he carries you through the playoffs or something like that. But they're cheap just enough. more fun scenarios. They're cheap yeah. enough to stack up. That's what I, I coined that phrase a couple years ago because it's not really a traditional handcuff. It's that mm -hmm. they're both going so late that they have a floor. And then if one of them gets hurt, you get you can get like the value of a second round pick. Um, my sure. favorite this year is Cook and Damian Harris. Oh, okay. I, I, on, I like those two the bills. Together. I like I, I I've drafted the two of them together a number of times. I mean, not you know, not ridiculous, but I would say, hundred drafts. I probably got five, six teams with both of them together. Nice. So on James Cook, he's a hard one for me. I don't see the the touchdown upside as much with Josh Allen and now Damian Harris and Latavius Murray. Murray's a nice uh, round eighteen flyer for for my thought yeah. anyway. And Hines is your, still there. Yeah. What's your bull case for for James Cook? I want to hear. He was very efficient last year. I was not big on him coming out. Um, and I think they showed a lot. You know, they've talked about him being more involved. And he's a pass catcher. So he's not a big underdog guy for me. But FFPC and DraftKings, where his ADP is very similar to his underdog ADP. Uh, you know, and, and he's, he's just explosive enough. Another one of those explosive guys. Uh, someone compared him to 
what's it, Priest Holmes or Jamal Charles, you know, and I don't get that, but I do think that, you know, he's the type of guy who could be hyper efficient within a really good offense. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And especially on the more for receiving sites that you draft on there. And and he can get you 15, 20, 50 yard touchdowns. I agree with you. Um, but that's why, I mean, Damian Harris is one of my most owned running backs. I felt he's been too cheap um, yeah. th- throughout the process. So, um, but I like Cook too. Um, okay. All right. Um, two teams that you're not as high on. <laughs> Buffalo, I I am very, very lightweight on, on everybody there. I, I think I'm around average on Gabe Davis because I think his price has finally fallen after the vehement uh, Twitter battles of Gabe Davis out there. I'm finally in on him. I've been out for the last or ever since he's been in the league until now, but I think his price is about right. But I, I see them coming down with uh, – I, I think they are going to pass a little more. Uh, I think their defense is going to take a step back, and their O-line shows out a fairly weak in the O-line metrics, and I gave heavier weight to that because it did so well the last two years. Uh, they dropped nine and a half spots, I believe it was, in the rankings for O-line. So pretty devastating there that you don't want to see from a high-end team. So that concerns me a lot. And that that's tied to points per game pretty heavily in my model. And of course, they have Josh Allen, and he's going to be great as always. But I just their their cost is baked in at the top of their outcomes in my mind. The the only counter I, I don't disagree, especially on the offensive line. Um, my only kind of sneaky thing was that Josh Allen played hurt last year. You know when he banged up his elbow, and he you know he. I think that, you know, I like looking for little sneaky because people bake in injuries if the players miss time with the injury. People don't account for injuries when players play through them. That's and a very good I point. Think, I think that is a really sneaky way to gain an edge, you know, where, you know, because they played the game. You're going to count their numbers based on a full game played. But he clearly wasn't himself for a while after that injury. Yep. So in, in my projections, well, Josh Allen, quarterbacks are a little different because they play through the whole game, right, and and don't miss snaps. They have to play through it, like you said. But I do account for a lot of injuries in, in a lot of my projections. So so I try and accommodate that, like you said, and kind of balance it out because their, their production does suffer when they're injured. Like that uh, high ankle sprain with uh, Taylor and Saquon, you know, last year and the year before, right? They, they really, really struggled through that. And they played, so their okay. stats are there, but it was like you can I, tell they're hobbled and hurt. And... I was taking so much third round Barkley, you know, for as long as that <laughs> discount lasted. Give me one more team that you uh... – are not as high on as the field. Um, Arizona's looking really, really rough for me. There's just, there's hardly a good thing that you can point to in their projections unless Kyler Murray comes back super early. And even then you're still looking at a bottom five O line, you know, completely depleted player cores on both sides of the ball. I just, I don't want many of their players. I, I do like, you know, for receptions, like a safe play. If you just need some points, like for bye weeks, I like Rondell Moore. 
stuff like that. Marquise Brown, I'm okay with, but Colt McCoy is going to be slinging the ball for, you know, anywhere between zero to 12 weeks of the season, if not more and, or, or some other quarterback. Right. So it's, it's pretty daunting and Vegas has a very grim picture of them right now. So I'm, I'm fading their players pretty hard. I was all over James Conner and he's still got a ton of workload. So he's fine at cost, I think, but Boy, I, I project him as the lowest scoring team in the league, which is concerning. I have very for little James Conner. Um, I've seen a lot of smart people talk about the value. I just don't like older backs who are on bad teams uh, when they when they're not that efficient themselves, right? There's sure. nothing worse than watching your teams on Sunday, and you know it's three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. <laughs> yeah. You know Conner dominates the backfield with you know twelve carries for thirty four yards and adds three catches for 19 yards and, you know, Arizona gets six points. Um, There's just too many other guys I like where I get the discount on Connor. I just can't get there. I like Rondell because he doesn't count on the ball being down the field to make his plays. Right. Um, You know, know, he, he lives off of manufactured touches. His reception perception was actually very good, I think. And I've seen other metrics where he he's open, right? Um, and and he's, I think he could be more than a gadget guy. And then the other thing I really think that people don't realize that the air raid offense, how friendly it was to running backs. Uh, his story, uh, if you read the book about air raid and uh, mummy, um, and you know, the running backs have always performed at a high level because. And it's counterintuitive because, you know, there's a lot of four wide receivers, but because they split them out and they throw to them, um, you know, uh, and they certainly run them a lot. You know, I mean, he made Kenyon Drake a thing, you know, it's just I I just can't get there with James Conner this year. Um, I love your air, uh, your yards created stat. We need to. but my understanding is it helps you find running backs who are not efficient and that opens up rooms for the backup. Who are a couple guys um, that did well in your, and who are a couple guys who, you know, you think are really risky and you're drafting a lot of their backup. Right. So yards created through analytics, that's uh that's a metric I came up with, and it actually profiles really close to the next-gen stats yards created, but with a volume adjustment. So next-gen stats, just as a per carry, it doesn't matter if you're at 50 carries or 200, it's it's the same efficiency, whereas I kind of normalize for volume. So a guy that can consistently be up top like Nick Chubb and always get more than expected for his O-line play, uh, the defensive fronts they're facing, yards after contact, stuff like that, they they show out really well with the more volume they get. And those are guys that you can count on like year after year after year. So it's the extremes. You're looking at guys who did extremely well and guys who did extremely poor. And I always like to point out the Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, because for three years in a row, I was chirping with my model saying, and of course, I'm just the nerd chirping, right? But uh like you kept seeing Ezekiel Elliott's way down on the left corner, you know, not adding more per carry to yard. And then you have Tony Pollard who's on the way top right of the chart, you know, just killing it. So he was one that we saw coming for a while. So I was luckily in on him in quite a few leagues because of that. 
And then there's guys that are falling off the cliff and it, it pairs really well with the age cliff. So like, you know, Melvin Gordon falling off, Ezekiel Elliott falling off, Leonard Fournette's rushing falling off. But probably the most concerning one's got to be Najee Harris way down on the bottom. This is back-to-back years of being under a half a yard per carry under expected. And I know they've had O-line issues. And if there's one flaw in this model is that, you know, it does account for expected yards per carry from the O-line play. But even still, when you're getting just crushed behind the backfield, of course, you're like never going to break off a big run like or like that. So even though it accounts for it, for the most part, I still think there's a factor there that it could probably do a little better at, but he is, he's definitely of concern down there and yeah, guys at the top, like Jalen Warren probably did better. And that's what I try and do. I try and, you know, even if it's a smaller sample, I want to compare the guys who face the same circumstance. Right. So, sure. um, yeah, go ahead. Like, like backfield teammates, you mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like and, the, and, the and, Zeke Pollard train. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the obvious one. But, you know, like when you look at Najee, you know, Jalen Warren came in and was much more efficient. Right. Yeah. So that is, you know, that, the, that to me counters the argument. Now, Najee did play better down the stretch and they, you know, they have first round draft capital on him. I'm not a big draft capital guy because eventually coaches want to keep their jobs, but nobody has more job efficient, uh, you know, um, uh, not Dungy. Um, God, the coach Mike of the Tomlin, you Mike mean? Tomlin has a lot of job security. Yeah, yeah um, he isn't so, going anywhere. Yeah. So, you know, but I think he's one. Um, here's one that I thought was really interesting. And it was a guy I was fading, even though I always liked him and I drafted him last year. Khalil Herbert got both Roshan Johnson and Dante Foreman. Foreman, I think people are sleeping on a little bit this year, especially in half PPR. But Khalil Herbert is starting to drop because, but he was really efficient, wasn't he? Yeah, he was uh, number four, I believe, in and my yards created over expected model. So he, he really popped. I think they're looking for that kind of grinder replacement of Montgomery, right? With Roshan and Foreman, they both have the bigger bodies, right? And can work in between the tackles. So I think that's kind of all that is there. And Fields, you know, with his rushing ability, I've heard people explain how much that opens up the running game. So maybe Herbert benefited a lot from that i'm not exactly sure i haven't watched a ton of bears games personally but yeah the younger guys who pop up at the top right like khalil herbert and tyler algier he's he's a favorite of mine as well i'm drafting a ton of him i uh, I, I i i have a i i i wasn't early and with the I've, drop well I, I drafted so much in the early best ball. I had so much of the rookies, right? Oh, okay. So in that range, I have I had a ton of A-Chain, a, a ton of Israel Abanaconda, a ton of Tajay Spears, and a ton of um, Roshan, right? So I just, you know, he wasn't just the – and he was seventh, eighth round back then before Bijan right. went. So I thought Bijan could go there. So I had almost none. He's become a guy, you know, him and um, Mitchell from San Francisco are two guys I love mixing in as a third or fourth running back. Um, 
where where I feel like you know you know you get that you know if you get that injury those guys could really go nuts good right. offensive yeah. line exactly they they got a lot of things going for them right nice playoff schedule like you said injury ahead of them or even without they do have standalone value just by themselves like they're not gonna give Bajan robinson 100 percent of the touches like coaches have said they're gonna split it out and they said the work the workhorse running back role is dead like whatever whatever that meant when when they came out and say that but they are gonna split the ball between them up a bit Bajan, of course is gonna get the lion's share of the carries right but Algier and Mitchell, like, yeah, my, my third and fourth highest on running backs right now. They have tremendous upside, good offensive line, good coaches that know how to use them to their strengths, and they have nice playoff schedules. So you get all that kind of piling together, and we say, you, you always say best ball is a nuanced game. There's there's so many factors you're looking at. So there's there's a lot of things working right for those guys to pay off, even without injury, and with injury, they just explode. Yeah, the one guy that, I mean, we seem to, you know, and it, this is what I love, and it's why I wanted to have you on. We come about things so differently, but we end up at the same place. Right? <laughs> we should do a draft together. We, we'd crush it then. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I, I'm open to that. Uh, just just ping me. I would love to do, I love doing that anyway. Oh, um, it's, it's one a guy, blast. One, one guy that you're not on as, as much as me is Tajay Spears. But when I look at Derrick Henry and the age and, you know, I, you know, people are just so concerned about that knee. But I watch the tape and I see a friggin' magician. Um, you know, I just said, you know, I just think that he's going to have a real nice floor, 15th, 16th round. And I think that he's the type that if Henry does get hurt, I mean, man. I'm, I have so much Tajay Spears. Tell me why you're not on Team Tajay. It's it's funny because I think that exact conversation actually look, made me look at him harder, and now I'm drafting him at, at a decent clip. So at first, yeah. I wasn't on him thinking that I don't even know if he'd earn the backup role. Derrick Henry is you know, one of the very rare breeds that they do give 80% of the snaps to a lot of the times, and he's – you know, one of the last ones remaining, like CMC didn't even see, what, 65, 70% of snaps with Elijah Mitchell healthy, and Derrick Henry's over here crushing at 80, 85%, 90 most games. So that's that's what turned me off right away. But the deeper I looked into it, like you said, he looks great. You know, he, he got the draft capital. His profile overall is pretty good. I have zero concerns about the knee. I, you know, people can tell me he doesn't have an ACL as many times as they want now. But that's a, yeah, that's a that's a dynasty concern, not a redraft concern for me. That's that's definitely fair. So, yeah, he looks good. Uh, the reports about him from camp have been glowing. They say they want to use him as much as as many ways and get him on the field as much as possible. And then you kind of look at their uh, receiving cores, and you know you got Burks and Chig. Chris Moore is uh, you know he'll be there, but I imagine they're they're probably going to run more. 20 personnel and try to get Henry and maybe Spears on, on the field at the same time with his receiving work so that they can kind of misdirect defenses. Cause I don't, they're not going to be an 11 personnel team. I don't think unless you got Chig working in the slot a bunch, but I, I don't even know who their third wide receiver is off the top of my head. It's uh, Phillips. Kyle Phillips. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, but the you know, and he's kind of intriguing. I, I haven't been drafting him, but he's kind of intriguing. Um, but that's a terrible, you know, that could be a terrible offense which opens up another way that I think about things, you know, I'm spending a lot more time trying to think about because it's so hard before the season to imagine what it's going to look like the last few weeks of the season. So that's another area I'm trying to improve on this year and bad teams, you know, Derek Henry could either be traded at the deadline if they're a bad team or they just decide that they're going to give Spear, you know, they want to look at Will Levis and, and they're going to hand off to Spears a lot. So they've got those two matchups against Houston. I mean, everyone knows how much I like them. Let's move on. Um, yeah, the, the playoff schedule is the last thing I was going to say. Houston twice has been just a, a fantasy goldmine for running back. So that, that helped turn me on to him as well. You were the number one ranker a couple years ago about wide receivers. So let's talk rookie wide receivers. I think most of them are priced a bit rich for my blood. And often we get a discount when camp starts and news that they are behind and third team. Do you think the rooks are overpriced right now in general? And how are you handling them in your drafts? Yep. As far as best ball contest, I think... Pretty much every rookie wide receiver other than Quentin Johnston, because he pops so well in my model and I like that offense a lot, is overpriced right now. I'm still taking a decent amount of Jordan Addison because I also think the Vikings are going to pass a ton. And lo and behold, they they cut Dalvin Cook. I don't know if they'll bring someone in, but I think they're going to vie for a top three passing offense in volume and scoring. So... You, you have factors like that that help Addison and, and Johnston. And then, as we talked about, Jackson, I think, is is massively overpriced, even though there's there's ways he can hit, right? But the other profiles outside of those three, they're just not very good for what people are blowing them up to be. Rashi Rices has gotten just completely out of control in my mind. He's a really, really hard click for me these days. I think he's what in the eleventh or twelfth round already. Yeah, I, I only take him with Mahomes and when he's drops. Yep, that's that's it for me. He's got to drop like a full round or more for me to even consider him. But more yeah. sky more for me. There I you mean, go. You know, I I I I almost had no sky more last year because he was the, if you will, the Jordan Addison and the you know, but with much, but coming from a small school. Um, to me, he just he had like a lot a, of learning. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Now, now, but they, but they believed in him enough to play him at all three positions, so he would learn all three. And if you believe that Kadarius Tony is a time bomb, whether through injury or just Kadarius Tony, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, Rashi Wright was a t- right. I, I'm not as good with wide receiver tape as I am with running back. I really have been very, very good with running back wide receiver. I'm more mixed, uh, but I just wasn't, see, you know, I wasn't seeing it with Rod. And that's why I, I, I talked about reception perception and why I bought it this year, because I, I just, I need something beyond what I see where running back. I, I really, you know, trust myself. Um, Anyway, um, I'm trying to think. There was who's the who's some later running backs, wide receivers. There's a few that well, I Jonathan Jonathan Mingo. Are you in on him? I'm I'm way off on him as well. He's, he's the first him. first Panther wide receiver taken, right? 
Well, he's, the he's, guy that my most owned wide my most owned wide receiver right now is a rookie. It's Josh Downs. You know, oh he boy. he is so cheap. I mean, I don't think he's, you know, the type that's going to explode and, you know, but I think he can be a guy who can get you that 10 to 15 points and there's a lot of value in that in the 16th, 17th, 18th round of drafts. So that one, I think, hopefully, or I'm guessing, plays more into the FFPC style with the more points per reception. Because for me, with the pass volume... No, I, with... I, I take him everywhere. Oh, you I, do? I, okay. I, yeah, I, I, I think he's better than... I think he's better than where he's going. I could be so wrong. In, in doing projections, right. So I think that's fair to have a good player take. I like Josh Downs... Um, profile a good bit but in building projections and you have anthony richardson at quarterback and stain shane steichen uh came over from philly right so they got jonathan taylor anthony richardson i think they're going to be extremely run heavy in in a lot of facets of the game michael pittman's the clear-cut number one alec pierce i i like as an outside wide receiver i think he's the clear number two and by that time the pass volume it just doesn't add up to me from a kind of stats standpoint whereas a player take i liked him but from the passing the scoring and just the utilization standpoint of projections for me he came out extremely low so i don't i don't think i'll be taking him hardly at all he'll be one of my hard fades as most of the pass catchers and in the colts are but you know they got that gorgeous week 17 matchup with the raiders so you never know what happens there their defense is trash i have a a lot of Pittman because i really feel it's baked in i you know Pittman was someone who came out really well on reception perception he's a talented guy he gets open he can get you short passes he can get you long passes and i think richardson's kind of profile is that he's he's really accurate at times and really inaccurate at times and i'm okay with that it's the guys who you know who can't throw you into the ball and lead you that i have a hard time with so i do agree that you know he deserves to be dinged but you know 6th 7th round michael pittman i mean you could be talking about an 80 catch guy um, you sure. know, and I, th- and I think that offense could be, you know, Steichen, it could, it could be better than it, than, than we think. Yep. So, and another part I kind of put into projections is, is the talent gap between tiers of wide receivers and Pittman's, yep. you know, this big of a tier above everyone else there. So he's, he's going to, he's going to get the lion's share. He's going to lead the team. I think I have him at 90 some receptions even. So so he comes out fine there, but the rest of our receivers, the the pass volume drops off so quickly that I just I just don't I, have a I, lot I will of keep love that for in him. mind. There's just very there's a, a lot of guys. I could be wrong, right? Like no, projections well, are we, projections, we all could right? Be wrong, so. But I, when I saw how much I had at Josh Downs, it surprised me. I didn't think I had that. I didn't think he was in the twenties, right? You know, <laughs> exactly. uh, and so. But the great thing is. By the end of this month, with all the drafting I've done, I'll still only be about 30% of what I'm going to draft. There's plenty of time to adjust. Um, Right. You know, this is a time of year where 
people move for no reason. And then once we get into camp, people don't move quick enough. Anyway. Yep. Um, no, I agree with that. Like you see the Alexander Madison news, like I saw some people taking them in the second round and then I saw them sliding and some like there's, there's so many wide takes out there. Are you, and are you I, a fan of his ADP? I, I have a hard time with him in the fifth, sixth round. No, I, I can't hardly click him unless unless I'm doing a zero RB build and he falls a bit. He's he's one I, I just can't take ahead of ADP. Just I'm we get Vikings where I live, so I get to watch him all the time and he doesn't have it for me. Like I'm not a film guy by any means, and like you said, your eyes can deceive you, but I just don't think he's that good. And I think well, they're gonna bring in someone and or Ty I, Chandler. Like, yeah, I've been, I, I, I've been drafting some Ty Chandler. I'm not he a might McCoy, be the guy. They might I'm bring in Fernet or someone else. Right. You know what? I don't think there's any rule that the, Dalvin Cook can't go back there. I, Do I you mean, think the, he'll want to? No, but I think that <laughs> I think he's shown that he wants money, and I think Minnesota For might sure. value him more than anyone else. But the they did everything in their power to try and get him to renegotiate to a level that they thought was fair. Yeah. You know, and, keeping him to, you know, the middle of June. Right. Right. I think in their heart, they want him back still. And I think that they'll wait a little bit longer so that he can see what's out there and they might make another push. And if that doesn't happen, I think Lenny, I think uh, Hunt, I think one of those guys could be on the table. Yep. Some, some veteran with pass catching and uh, pass blocking chops. Makes David, a lot of sense there. Great stuff. I love everything that you're doing over um, uh, with Freaks in the Spreadsheet, guys. You absolutely need to check this out. Give David a follow um, at DavidZach16 on Twitter. Um, I, 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 I re rarely find guys who are nuanced with their spreadsheets like David. I have a, a lot of respect for him. I think he's going places in this industry. David, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation. Sorry I monopolized it a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I, I love talking about my takes. No, I love hearing them. That, that's I, the best part. Like you said, we learn from each other, right? Yeah, so, I feel but, like we really got into some good situations. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was just saying we learn from each other, and, and I like hearing people explain their thought process because it makes me question mine, like Tajay Spears, right? So you, you got me around on him. So if he becomes a league winner, I know who to thank, and it's, and it's you. <laughs> well, I, 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 and I am going to be digging a lot more into your work. Um, I did a decent amount, but like you said, it's a bit of a manifesto, and um, <laughs> I look forward to getting through more of it. That's going to do it all for this week. Next week, we've got Mike Leone of ETR on, and we're going to talk about, speaking of manifestos, his best ball manifesto. That's going to do it for me this week. Thank you, guys. Have a great day.